it's not Deliverance, it's Fangraphs Audio. And it's not dueling banjos we have for you, but dueling prospect mavens. As Fangraphs own Mark Hewlett and Brian Smith discuss some young players who are set to take on larger roles with their team this year. We'll look at Scott Sizemore, the Detroit Tigers, Julio Brabon of the Texas Rangers, Alcides Escobar of Milwaukee Brewers, and a number of other young players who are set to see some serious playing time with their teams. We'll also look at a couple of young prospects like Jason Hayward and Madison Bumgarner who are set to take the league by storm. And finally, we hear Mark Hewlett's repost to the Fangraphs commentariat with regard to his ranking of Chris Withrow in the Los Angeles Dodgers organization. Please join us for some prospect talk here on Fangraphs Audio. Uh, once again, I'm Carson Sestouli, and I am today joined by Fangraph's crack prospect maven team. That team includes Mr. Mark Hewlett. You may know him from his contributions to Baseball Analysts, uh, to Roto World, to Rotographs, where he's also the editor, and also his uh, numerous uh, prospect art, uh, uh, articles here at Fangraph's. He is Mark Hewlett. Hello, Mark. How are you doing? Good. How are you, Carson? Oh, uh, Excellent. Couldn't be better, sir. Glad and, to hear it. Yeah, glad to hear it. And then uh, 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 joining him, joining us as well, uh, will be a gentleman who's contributed to every single sporting publication in the world. Baseball Perspective, Sports Illustrated, Baseball America, a whole bunch of soccer magazines, probably in China somewhere. His name is Brian Smith. Hello, sir. Hey, how you guys doing? We're doing excellent. So today... Uh, well, there are about a million things we could talk about. You guys know uh, from my experience reading your articles, uh, talking with you, emailing with you, you have a pretty sweet hold on the prospect world as it is right now. I think I'd like to focus on, um, and what might be most helpful for the re- uh, for the listeners at home, to focus on guys who are going to be relevant almost immediately in the majors this year. Um, so those are guys who uh, haven't had many plate appearances or uh, I guess innings pitched as well uh, would be another consideration, but basically have a have an open shot at their team. So uh, if if we could, let's start right there, and let's start with a guy uh, who's pretty interesting to me at least because he's had zero major league plate appearances, and yet he's all but assured of a starting position uh, with the Detroit Tigers at second base. Brian Smith, what do you think about Scott Sizemore? What's going to happen to him? Is he going to be able to lock that position down? And will he be worth anything when he does? Sizemore seems like one of the easier guys to project because he's pretty much hit at every stop since I think he went to Virginia Commonwealth, and he was a great hitter there, and he's hit everywhere. It seems like he's a guy that's going to transition to the majors pretty well. I think he could be a a 300 hitter, maybe 10 home runs or so. He's decent value for a second baseman, especially in the later rounds for the fantasy guys. Oh, okay, so you're talking 310 10 home runs. Is that roughly what he's been doing in the minors then? Yeah, he's he's pretty consistent. I, I think maybe in the Midwest League he had some some struggles like guys tend to, but most of the time he's a uh, he's a pre- pretty consistent hitter. Now, Mark Hewlett, why haven't we heard Sizemore's name before? Was it just because of Placido Polanco, or were, were there any other reasons? I think it's more because Sizemore is basically, you know, he's a good player, but he's not a flashy player. And I think uh, he's maybe not got the due that he deserves uh, as a result of that. Because uh, as Brian mentioned, you know, 
300 hitter, maybe maybe 10 home runs, maybe 10 or 15 steals. That's that's solid, but it's not it's not spectacular. Now that description that you're giving of this player, it sounds shockingly like another guy who debuted last year. Um, I, I think maybe Casey McGahee didn't he have roughly similar numbers to that in his time in his time up with uh, with Milwaukee, or am I way off base here? I think he maybe hit for a little more power, but he's a uh He's a similar player where he's not, like Mark said, he's not flashy at all, but he uh, sort of always got the job done and slowly earned a spot in the major leagues as a result. Now, now Brian, actually, it, it sort of reminds me of that Sinkerballer article you've been writing. Uh, or you, sorry, you wrote, uh, I guess it's not this most recent week, but the week before. It was an excellent five-part series in which you were sort of looking at a type of prospect who's generally undervalued. Um I'll start with you on this question. Is is a is a Scott Sizemore, a Casey McGahee, maybe a Chris Coughlin? Um, you might disagree with that. Are there, is this a type of prospect who is serviceable at the major league level, but maybe like some of those sinker ballers that doesn't get that type of attention right away? I think Coughlin's a good example. He's, I mean, he's sort of the uh, top tier of that group of players. But uh, if you have a little bit of every skill, but you don't have anything that excites scouts, nothing that's going to have them put a seventy out of 80 on their scale, then uh, you're not going to get a lot of recognition in the minor leagues, but you're a pretty viable major league player. Right. And is uh, where is Coughlin going to be playing this year? Is he still going to be their left fielder for the Marlins? Hewlett, do you know anything about that? From what I understand, they still have him uh, earmarked as their left fielder, but I think value-wise, he's much more valuable as a second baseman. Uh, simply mainly, I guess, because of his his power output. He's more of a 5-10 to 10 home run hitter. Uh, and He's not a fast guy, but he's a good base runner, so he's also got 50 or 20 steals in him. Uh, so I think that profile is better as a, as a second baseman than a, than a left fielder. Yeah, okay. Now, there's another guy, too, who maybe fits a similar profile to the one we're talking about, which is not super exciting, but uh, maybe you know pretty consistent all the way around. I'm looking at his name right now. It's it's uh, David Freeze over in St. Louis. That's been my my sort of read of him. Um, I certainly don't know as much about him as you guys do. Mark, what is uh, what's up with David Freeze? Is he going to be the third baseman in St. Louis? And if, if he is, what's he going to produce? I think Freeze has a shot at of at least starting the year as the third baseman in St. Louis. But I've never been a big Freeze fan myself. Um, I think his numbers are they're pretty good. They're not great. He's played at some really good hitting parks in the minors. Um, he played in the California League, which is a good hitters league. Uh, in the Pacific Coast League, another good hitters league. And he's put some good numbers up. He's a bit of an older prospect. He's going to be 27 uh, at the end of April. So, um, yeah, I think he's maybe got 15 home runs in him and as, as a major league hitter, and he's more of a 270 average kind of guy. So, again, I think he's a solid player, but nothing special. Uh, uh, Brian, you have a similar read on Freeze? Yeah, I'm with Mark. I think um, for a top-tier club like the Cardinals that wants to compete for the World Series, I don't see Freeze as a viable third baseman. But um, for the lower clubs, for teams at the bottom of that division, I think he'd be a fine player. Is he's there, not a great defensive player is there something? Is there something about the Cardinals that has helped them to attract or causes them to attract this sort of... Because Freeze, I get, uh, quite frankly, I get him confused with like 10 other guys on the Cardinals roster. I feel like I, I feel like they had uh, quite a few guys playing third base this past year, and plus they've always had sort of this glut 
of similar type outfielders. Like I think, you know, Duncan could like just on the cusp of major league relevance. And then we also had someone like, uh, uh, am I right? Was, was Brandon Boggs running around out there somewhere? Um, or am I way off? Am I off base there? I think he's in, he's in another organization, but Joe Mathers, another one that fits that description. They, uh, they don't always go for the most athletic players. They just go with the guys that hit a lot of hit a lot in college. Yeah, and that's that's the thing. Just like Brian just said, they're they're one of those clubs that grabs a lot of college guys, and they don't go for the high ceiling uh, prep stars. Uh, I think Colby Rasmus was probably the last uh, big time uh, high school guy they really nabbed. And he's sort of outside of last year when they grabbed Shelby Miller. Shelby Miller, uh, what, what's the deal with him? Where is he right now? Uh, he was uh, a prep pitcher they drafted in the first round last year, uh, and he's uh, he's going to be probably in rookie ball this year, I'd imagine. So he's uh, his ETA is still a way off then. Yeah, he's he's a long time off. Yeah. Now for a club like that, if we could, uh, we'll just uh, digress momentarily. For a club like that, like the Cardinals, that is going to bank on a lot of college players, what does it take for them to go f- to reach for a guy like Shelby Miller? I mean, in terms of how do they weigh that against their typical philosophy, Mark? I think I think last year they just went with the best available player at the time, um, whereas other years maybe they've gone with uh, safer picks. I, I don't personally know that they changed their philosophy last year. Maybe Brian heard something about that, but uh, you know I think they've shown in the past that you know with with Rasmus that they will go the high school route if they really like a guy. But I think they they prefer the safer picks if there's someone they really like available at the position that they're drafting. Okay. Now, there are a couple other guys uh, around the league, too, who who were late-season call-ups and could make uh, could make uh, uh, some waves this year, I guess. There are three guys in particular, and they don't profile exactly alike, but they're both pretty talented outfielders. Or Sorry, all three of them. I'm under the impression that they're talented outfielders, and I fully expect you to correct me. Let's take them all in stride right here. I see Julio Borbone in Texas, who is uh, slated as a center fielder. Drew Stubbs in Cincinnati, who, especially because now uh, Willie Tavares has shuffled off and, and, and then actually been released by Oakland, looks to be the center fielder. And then also Michael Brantley, who and I've heard rumblings that he might be playing left field for Cleveland this year. Why don't you pick, if you would, Brian, pick one of those guys. Uh, pick one of those guys and, and tell me what you think. Okay. All three are interesting guys for uh, stolen bases for fantasy, but Borbone is of the three. He's probably the fastest. Um, if he gets a green light in Texas, he's certainly a guy that could get 30 to 40 steals if he gets a full season's work. He doesn't strike me as a guy that is a uh, top-tier player. Again, like Dave, I said about David Freeze, I guess I'm being negative with everybody, but um, he's all right. He's right. He's got a leadoff profile. If he walks enough, then maybe he'll get there. Maybe the uh, the easy park in Texas, he'll, he'll produce decent numbers, but for fantasy purposes, you're just looking to see if he gets the green light or not in April. Right, uh, Hewlett, do you have the same? Do you have a similar read on him? Not not too high ceiling of a guy. I'm a little bit uh, bigger of a fan of Bourbon than than Brian is probably, um, but I agree there's definitely some some problems with his approach. Being number one, his uh, lack of walks, and uh, from his scouting report, uh, he tends to swing at the fences a bit too much uh, for a top of the order kind of guy, and that. That could become a problem in Texas, where again, you know, it's a very home run centric uh, lineup, and he might, uh, you know, get caught up in that. So I think that could hurt him. 
Um, I'm a big fan of Michael Brantley myself. Um, I I don't think he he probably doesn't have the ceiling of uh, Bourbon, but I think he's a safer guy, more likely to reach his potential, uh, which is a little bit lower. But uh, you know he's one of those guys that knows his game. He gets on base a lot. He walks more than he strikes out, and he steals bases. Yeah, no, I seem to remember during his call up last year, Mark, that he had um, both in his a short time in the majors and also in the minor leagues. He had kind of crazy contact rates. Is that right? Yeah, he's a guy. He's he's always uh, hit really well, um, and uh, he doesn't strike out much at all. So, yeah, he puts the ball in play, and uh, he, he gets on base, and he runs. So, And, Brian, what about Stubbs? What do you think about him? He, uh, I think he was pretty impressive, um, at least when I saw him just uh, anecdotally, as a fielder, and he profile his profile offensively is kind of exciting. It seems like maybe his contact rate isn't all that good, but he's pretty young and could maybe get considerably better. Yeah, he's got the highest highest ceiling of the three players for sure. Defensively, he's a uh, fantastic player in center field. Offensively, he's always been a guy that um, has big home run power. He can steal bases. But he just never seems to put it together. He's been one of Scott, the scouts that I've talked to, most frustrating players every year. I remember when he was at Texas, he was the most frustrating player because as a freshman, people talked about him as a potential number one pick down the road, and he just kept striking out and never really materialized. But he's gotten a lot better, and I think he could do some good things in Cincinnati. Is he, Mark, is he an example of a guy who maybe has athletic talent but not baseball-specific talent, or do you give him more credit than that? I think he was a guy that when he was that when he was drafted, he was definitely rawer than most college picks. Um, and yeah, the, the strikeouts were a major issue, and they still are. I mean, he struck out 49 times in 42 games in Cincinnati, so that's that's still a lot. Um, and I think it's probably something that's always going to haunt him, and it's just a matter of offsetting that with the rest of his production. Is uh, is Dusty Baker going to be a problem for this year, Mark? <laughs> I mean, I mean, I don't trust any player with Dusty Baker, and uh, especially one who maybe profiles like the one you guys are describing. Although maybe his defense could appeal to Baker, but you have a situation where a guy maybe has plate discipline, but also some holes in his swing, and he's young. That's a guy that I'm a little bit nervous about when it comes to Baker. I will always shake my head that Cincinnati hired Dusty Baker as their manager, knowing what type of club they are. Um, and that they're never going to have a huge budget, and they're always going to rely on young players. I just I don't think he's the right guy to to manage that kind of player. And I think yeah, it is going to become an issue at some point. Are you? Does that scare you too, Brian? Or are you you a big you're a big Dusty Baker fan? <laughs> I'm a Cubs fan, so you don't want to talk to me too much about Dusty Baker. <laughs> uh, because he summarily, uh, single-handedly destroyed your your franchise. <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, maybe I don't that's have giving, a lot of good things to say. It's maybe giving him too much credit. Um, also, I like uh, Hewlett the way you um, the comparative form of the word raw, rawer. Does that come up a lot in prospect talk? <laughs> maybe in my talk, I don't know about anyone else. Yeah, it sounds uh, it sounds you sound like a lion. Um, <laughs> um, that'd be great. Maybe it's a Canadian thing. I don't know. Yeah, I know. It seems like you keep trying to foist this off on being Canadian. You can't always use that. It's it's got to be good for an excuse sometime. <laughs> yeah, well, hopefully hopefully uh, you don't have to use it too much more often. Um, 
All right, let's see. Uh, let me check the magic list here. I got uh, two more guys I'd like to talk about. The first one here is I like him because of because he's got this great Italian last name, but I'm a little worried that maybe he's not excellent at baseball. His name is I believe it's Tommy Manzella. Is how you say it, and he appears to be especially now um, with Miguel Tejada having departed um, from Houston to go back to Baltimore. Uh, he looks like the starting shortstop. I remember taking a little peek at his minor league numbers, and I wasn't too excited. Brian, is there any reason to be excited about Manzella? Maybe uh, does he have defensive value I'm not seeing? If there's a description of where the Astros are as a franchise right now, it's the fact that Tommy Manzella is their shortstop. He is a mess, and um, he has no reason getting 500 at-bats in the major leagues, and it looks like he's going to. He's never posted a 340 on on-base percentage in the minors. If he sniffs 400 slugging, I'll be shocked. It's... It's a disgrace that a major league team has to go to him as a shortstop. Well, why why is it happening? Don't they have Jeff Kepinger lying around somewhere? You would think they could find someone off the scrap heap, but this is this is a team that's saying they're dedicated to their future, but they are uh, dedicated to the wrong people. It looks like. Mark, when people say that they're dedicated to their future and yet they do things like this, do you think that it's just lip service, or do you think that they actually think that this is a good prospect and they just don't know what they're doing? <laughs> um, I'm, I'm, uh, I would say that they probably don't know what they're doing. Um, when it comes to, to developing prospects, I'd say Houston is one of the worst, um, and it doesn't help they don't draft well. Uh, they're they're kind of up there with Kansas City when it comes to developing prospects, although at least Kansas City actually has some real prospects that they haven't uh, destroyed yet. Well, the thing with Kansas City, though, is... Um, and I know that you know it, it's been largely from the sabermetric community. They have guys who do seem interesting, who I, who they don't appear to be giving a chance. And I got—I mean, I'm thinking of a couple names right now. I'm thinking of Disco Hayes. Uh, I'm thinking of—I uh, believe it's a Hawaiian gentleman, but I do either of you know how to say his name? Kila, help me. Is it Kwa? Go in there. Yeah, yeah. How, how do you say? It? Yeah, just try it. Just try it, Hewlett. <laughs> Kwahu. Sure, I'll go with Kwahu. <laughs> this sounds good. Yes. So Keela, yeah, I, I mean, I'm a big fan of his. Um, I think I've gotten in trouble in the past for ranking him pretty high, um, but uh, you know, he strikes out a lot, but he he walks a ton, and he's a good home run threat. So it's it's something that the Royals lineup could at least should at least attempt to to get in there and see if you know he can't provide that pop that he's provided in the minors. They really have nothing to lose. Oh boy, yes. Uh, they don't have anything to lose. That's true. That's that's the nicest thing you could say about their organization. <laughs> um, well, those are, and I think that those are some of the those are some of the names we've been talking about. Oh, oh, one more. Sorry, uh, Brandon Wood. Brandon Wood hit what, like seventy-five homers three years ago across. Uh, I think he was in Rancho Cucamonga at the time, which is what is that low, high A uh, California League baseball? That's uh, what is that, Brian? Low or high A? That's high A. That's high A. Brandon Wood hit a lot of home runs, and he's another guy who's blocked this year, or who's unblocked, I'm sorry, because of the departure now of Sean Figgins. Is Brandon Wood going to play well? He's had great minor league numbers, at least from a powers perspective. Will his contact rate be sufficient to 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 uh, allow him to hold down a major league, a major league roster spot? He's sort of like Drew Stubbs. If, if he can make contact, maybe 20 or if he can only strike out in 20 or 25% of his at-bats, then 
I think he could do pretty well because he tends to center the ball well when he makes contact and it goes a long way. But you just don't know how these guys are going to transition to major league breaking balls. And if they start striking out in 25, 30% of their bats, 35%, then all of a sudden your average is pretty far down and you have to do a lot of other things well to uh, work in the major leagues. Well, do you have a, or sorry, uh, Mark, do you have a pretty similar read of him? I mean, is he, is it his spot? Is he going to have it? And will, how long will it take for him to lose it? Yeah, I, I'm a fan of Wood, and I, I don't think he's it, he's far from uh, stumbling into a Russell Brannion type of career, though, so uh, he really could go either way. And I'm not convinced that the Los Angeles Angels are going to give him much leeway, and I wouldn't even be surprised to see them make a trade in spring training to bring in a veteran third baseman. Oh, so you're thinking that they could they already don't feel that secure with that position. Or, or would that just be sort of to create as they say, to create competition to motivate the younger player? I just I just don't think that they're in a position where they're going to go too long with a, with a rookie. They're in that win-now mentality, and uh, I, I think that uh, management has shown in the past that uh, they don't have a very uh, long leash on their prospects. And uh, I, I think that, yeah, I, I'd be shocked if they didn't bring in a, a guy this spring. They've already re-signed Rob Quinlan, uh, to a minor league contract, and I guess he's probably a little bit of insurance there as well. At third base, could Quinlan play third? Is that right, Mark? He can, yeah. Not overly well, but he can play it. Oh, okay. Well, good for Rob Quinlan. <laughs> um, all right, so th- so those are some guys, I'd say. Uh, we Who did we touch on? We touched on Scott Sizemore, Brandon Wood, Julio Bourbon, Michael Brantley, David Freeze, uh, Tommy Manzella, Drew Stubbs. Oh, there's another shortstop, too. I, I mean... Um, uh, Alcides Escobar out in Milwaukee, uh, I mean, he also basically has the position down. In fact, that's the reason why J.J. Hardy is no longer around. Uh, Brian, is Alcides Escobar, is he is he just a defensive whiz, or does he have an offensive game? Or is he a defensive whiz at all? He is a defensive whiz. He's a, he's a highlight reel type player. He's a little bit like Elvis Andrus last year, except he's a couple of years older, obviously. Um, in AAA last year, he sort of turned it around, started showing that maybe he can be a 300 hitter in the major leagues. It's going to be an empty 300 batting average, but if you ha- if you hit 300 and you're a plus 10, plus 15 defender at shortstop, then I see no reason why you can't be a major league player, and if you steal 25 bases, then you could be a pretty decent fantasy player. Is that, uh, Mark, does the, does the Elvis Andrews comp work for you? Yeah, I, I can see that. I mean, like like Brian said, he's a little bit older, so it's a little bit different. Uh, but uh, I like him as a as a player, and he does have that that thirty steal potential um, and good defense. So uh, he's uh, he's good in real life baseball, and he has some value in fantasy too. Yeah, and there's another shortstop I know that uh, was sort of being discussed as maybe being able to start this year, and that's Ian Desmond with the Nationals. Um, I know there was some talk about moving Christian Guzman over to second, although I think. Now with the acquisition of Adam Kennedy, that probably won't be the case. Um, but is how does Ian Desmond compare to those two guys, Mark? Both both Andrews and Alcides Escobar. As it as it stands, Desmond is probably a better hitter than Adam Kennedy or Christian Guzman. So I'm not really sure why they they felt compelled to bring in Kennedy and keep Guzman around. Uh, with them not really competing this year, it would have made more sense to give the at bats to Desmond. Do you think that maybe the Nationals? Um, uh, were so distraught after the the death of Teddy Kennedy that they needed to bring at least one more Kennedy to Washington D.C. That could be. I mean, I think that's that's probably the best explanation, right? It's the best one I've heard, Carson. Yeah, 
Well, I'm trying to provide that sort of information for our listeners. So those are guys who have jobs. Uh, some of those rookies, plus Ian Desmond, uh, we talked about a little bit. And Michael Branley, who we're not sure will have a position uh, this season, at least to start it. And there are probably now also three big names, three big guys who are set to make their debuts this season. Let's start with Madison Bumgarner, who has the word bum in his name, in case no one brought that up before. Well, what's Madison Bumgarner going to be doing this year? Uh, Brian Smith, what is he going to be? Uh, is he going to be starting starting the season in the majors? I think the Giants' plan is to give him an opportunity to win their fifth starter spot. In reality, he's probably good enough to win their third starter spot. He's he's ready for the major leagues. I think he's 95 to 97 off off the mound from the left side. His breaking ball has come a really long way since high school. In high school, it was kind of a mess, and he was just a velocity guy. But the Giants have really good pitching instruction in the minor leagues, and they've done a really good job with Bumgarner, and he seems to be the one prospect Brian Sabian hasn't traded away in a long time. So they sh- they should give him a spot. He's ready. Now, that's an interesting point you bring up. You said they have really good pitching instruction, and obviously they have some uh, some pretty crazy young pitchers uh, who've surfaced these last uh, two, three, four years with uh, with Matt Cain and Tim Lincecum? Is that is it is it is it more of an issue of pitching instruction than drafting, or is it a combination of the two? Because they seem to have had crazy good luck, or is it just randomness? I think it's a combination because a lot of those guys are first rounders, and it's good scouting to get a guy like Tim Alderson in the first round, who some scouts were really off because he had a weird delivery and he wasn't a normal player, and they scout really well. But then you look at Bumgarner, and he was a one-pitch guy when he came to the minor leagues, and now he's got two pitches that are 65-70 on the scouting scale. He's It's a testament to their scouts. It's a testament to their player development team. And most of the time, Brian Sabian ruins it by trading, but this time he seems to have uh, kept the right guy. Uh, yeah, well, uh, I hope, I'm hope i sure Giants fans will hope that that, that remains the case. Um Another pitcher, obviously, people have heard of Steven Strasburg. He hurt his knee, I believe, in the Arizona Fall League. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Mark Hewlett. Um, but from what I've re- heard, he's actually set to—he's going to set to be healthy this spring training. Is he going to—is he going to start the start the season on the uh, in the major league pitching staff for the, the Washington Nationals? Yeah, from what I've heard, there was. Uh there was no problem with any injuries uh, coming into spring, so he's completely healthy. Um, I think they they were just a little cautious with him, and uh, I don't think that he's going to end up making the team out of the spring. We're talking about a guy that, although he pitched in college and obviously very well, um, he hasn't really pitched professionally yet. He played in the Arizona Fall League, but he hasn't been in uh, you know organized ball in terms of playing uh, at a level yet, and. Uh, it would be kind of silly of them to bring him up right away and uh, start his arbitration clock ticking towards towards that. And teams have been really conscious of it, especially the last couple of years. Uh, so I don't see them uh, having him start out there at the beginning of the year. They don't really have anything to gain from it. Do you have a similar read there, Brian Smith? Yeah, I think another thing, I, the arbitration clock's a good point by Mark, and the other thing is, They'll probably be able to get fans in the stands in April because that's when people tend to have, obviously, Hope Springs eternal. But when you get to June and the Nationals are falling to fifth in the division, he'd be a great guy to bring up June 1st and get some fans there and renew interest in the team, and I don't see a reason 
I mean, who cares at this point? Will he? Will he be? Will he be what we think? I mean, what you know, what the hype has suggested he might be, or what you know, his dominance uh, in college. Will will that be? Uh, will that come to fruition at the major league level? Do you think, Brian? I think he is a guy that can be a one-two starter in the major leagues. The question is, is the breaking ball good enough? As a second out pitch, some people say it's a 70 on a scouting scale. Some say it's a 55. It's sort of been all over the map. He's got an 80 fastball, and there's no denying that. And then can he get left-handers out with a changeup? I I would give him a couple months in the minor leagues and work on those second pitches before bringing him up to the majors just so he doesn't run into trouble. Where on the scouting scale do you think that the uh, Fangraphs podcast falls? (laughs) <laughs> it's an 80, of course. <laughs> it's an 80. Well, it leaves some room for improvement. Maybe, uh, maybe we. I think we might need a second pitch or something like that. <laughs> uh, let's see. Finally, uh, Jason Hayward is what 20 years old now. Last year, as a 19-year-old, he hit the ball hard and often. Uh, Mark, is there any reason for the Braves to call him up this year? Is he de- is he definitely going to come up? Or are they going to sort of use as much of his uh, of the first three years of his contract as they can. Yeah, I think he's another guy where you might see um, them play play around with his arbitration clock, too. Uh, the only difference being that Atlanta is a little bit more in the win-now uh, mentality than Washington is, so that could play a little bit into it. Um, this is a guy that, you know, when I saw him in, in high school, he looked like he could hit in the majors when they drafted him. Is that a similar reading for you, Brian? Just, uh, I mean, at least with what he's done at such an early age, is that, uh, I mean, is that exciting? Yeah, I, I think back on draft day, I agreed with Mark. It just didn't, I didn't get why he wasn't in consideration for the top five picks. He was a high school player that was smart enough to draw walks, but talented enough to hit home runs with a wooden bat. You just don't see that all the time. And the Braves got great value on that pick. He's probably ready for the major leagues, but, uh, if Johnny Damon signs with Atlanta and they can buy an extra year, then who knows? Well, if you could, uh, you say he didn't go with the top five picks. Where where was he picked? Because uh, not everyone may know that. Mark, I'm deferring to you here. Tenth, uh, fifteenth, I don't know. I was thinking it was fourteenth, but it was further down than you thought. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was fourteen actually. Yeah, he was fourteenth overall. And uh, but he's hitting like a a guy who who easily could have been picked in the first five. Is what you're saying? It sounds like. Absolutely. Now, um, that I mean, that's all interesting stuff. The, you know, um, if we're talking about potential and we're talking about you know part of your guys' responsibility to Fangraphs and the sort of content you provide, obviously one thing, Mark, that you've been providing is um, prospect lists, right, for uh, all the clubs. Uh, usually do a top ten type list. Um, this is shifting gears slightly, but but not greatly because we're still dealing with prospects, obviously. Um, I think on Thursday it was, uh, you put up your your top ten list for the Los Angeles Dodgers. Uh, it's a bigger market, so perhaps we have more readers in the Los Angeles area than we do others. Uh, I assume that you're pretty happy with it. You obviously put a great deal of thought into it. Some people took exception to you ranking Chris Withrow, who I believe will be up at AA, maybe AAA with the Dodgers this year. Uh, I think you ranked him sixth. Um and you said his stuff wasn't that electric, or not, you know, wasn't exactly electric. Maybe is what you said. Uh, some people took exception to that. 
And uh, I thought maybe I'd just give you a second to, to let you clear that up or to sort of explain your thinking on that, uh, your process. Yeah, I mean, Chris Withrow is, is a great prospect. And I, got, I have nothing against him, and I know some of the other sites like Baseball America and, and Keith Law, they, they did rank with Rowe probably the second best prospect in, in the system. And my ranking of him at number six is not so much that I don't like with Rowe. It's that I like a couple of the other guys on the list that a, a few of the other people aren't as big on. I like them a lot more. Like, I'm a huge Ethan Martin fan, uh, and I think Andrew Lambeau, who played at Double A last year as a as a 20 year old? I think he's got a lot of potential. Uh, even though he struggled a little bit last year, he was really young, and I think those guys have a lot. Of, like I said, a lot of potential. Um, Scott Elbert was number five. Uh, can you uh, can you well, while you're giving this, can you give us the just the positions that go along with it? Uh, so Ethan Martin, oh, yeah, she, Ethan Martin is a he's a he's a starting pitcher. Okay. Andrew Lambeau is a, an outfielder, uh, left field, maybe first base. Um, uh, Scott Elbert is a left-handed pitcher. Uh, he used to be a starter. He looks like he's going to be in the bullpen. Um, but he, he performs really well against left-handers. He can probably get right-handers out enough that he doesn't have to be just a loogie. Um, I had Josh Lindblom, Josh Lindblom at number four. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was ranked a little bit higher because he's a little more advanced than some of the guys. He's already in AAA. Um, I think if they gave him another shot at starting... Uh, I think he he could handle that, especially in the National League. Uh, so I think he's more than a reliever that which he did uh, most of last year. And again with Withrow, you know, when I said he wasn't electric, his fastball right now is pretty average. It's 88 to 92. Uh, that's good. It's not great. And you know he doesn't have a really good ground ball rate either. It's below 40 percent. So you know he doesn't blow the the ball by people and he doesn't induce a lot of ground balls so he's got a couple areas that he can work on and you know right now i'd say he's more of a number three guy could he be a number two down the road sure he's still young he's only 20 um so you know time will tell on him now uh that's interesting you brought up the ground ball right and i know that brian you've been doing some work on uh major league equivalencies for other things than um you know besides like uh, straight up era or fip or something like that my sense is that, correct me if I'm wrong, ground ball rates are typically higher in the minor leagues than they are at the majors. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. You're gonna see you're gonna see guys trade ground balls for line drives pretty often when they make that jump. So if a guy, correct, if a guy is not even hitting 40% in terms of uh, ground balls, uh, balls in play, I, he's gonna. I mean, there's no place for him to go except downward from there, right? And so does that get into a danger territory unless he can really strike guys out? If he doesn't make a change, there's there's precedent for guys that have gone up. I I was just looking today at John Dank's numbers when he was a rookie. He was below 40 percent in ground ball numbers. He added another pitch. He changed a little bit of his approach as a pitcher, and all of a sudden, I think last year he was above 50 percent. So there's room to go up. But it's not something that you can bet on when you have an arsenal that's just forcing fastball and curveball like Withrow has. Well, I know uh, Withrow was down at uh, with the La- uh, Las Vegas. Oh bloody hell! What are they called? The Forty uh, Niners. 51s. 51s, Sure, whatever. Some number. And uh, so he was down there, and I know Charlie Huff is their pitching coach. Do you think that maybe he'll uh, he'll adopt a, a knuckleball into his repertoire? We can only hope. The yeah. more knuckleballs, the better. Yeah, that's what I always say. That's my motto for life. And that's I think that's a pretty good note to end on. Um, so some people can hear a little bit of uh, of Mr. Hewlett's justification for that ranking. It's not so much 
you're, that you're low on Withrow is just that you think that there are other some pretty exciting guys in the Dodgers system. Yeah, exactly. Cool. All right. Well, for Mr. Mark Hewlett, thank you, sir. Thank you. Uh, for Mr. Brian Smith, thank you, sir. Yep. Happy to be here. Yep. I am Carson Sestouli, and this has been our uh, our roundtable with Fangraph's uh, two respective prospect mavens, whatever that word means. I've only ever heard it attached to the word prospect, but that's what you guys are, I guess. Uh, so thank you very much, guys, and thank you, listener, for joining us. That concludes our third edition of Fangraphs Audio. Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, I'd just like to remind our listeners that Fangraphs Audio will be available uh, two, three times a week from now on. You can subscribe to us via iTunes. Also care to mention that next week sometime, Fangraphs' first ever foray into the publishing world uh, will become available via the website Fangraphs.com. That is the 2010 Second Opinion it's Fangraph's fantasy, fantasy Guide. That will be available in PDF format and also via the uh, various player profiles at the website. Thank you for listening once again. Join us next time. Goodbye.